chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We missed you guys last week. We were with the church in Gory for their weekend away I was speaking at, and they greet you. That's Vincent Quinlan's church. Remember he was down for our last day away speaking to us here on the Sunday. I guess we were, we were trading <laughs> preachers for days away, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was it was nice to be with them, but we are delighted to be back with, with you, uh, our family, really, even as, even as Nick said that. I'm going to read from Galatians 1, starting from verse 11. Galatians 1, starting in verse 11. For I would... Have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel? For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard from my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray one more time together. Father, we ask as we look into your word, we look into this book written many, many, many years ago to your church in Galatia, the churches there. Father, we ask that it would be so relevant to us today. We know that it is. Help us believe that it is. By your spirit, Father, would you renew our hearts through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Valerie and I were first married, a few years after that, some people that we knew, I was teaching, and one of the families there had some sailboats, some catamaran, little catamaran sailboats, uh, Hobie cats are what they are called, and they, they, they gave us one to, to, because they didn't need any more. One of their boys like had used it, and so they decided that, oh, sure, We'll give it to the Keatings. I don't know. I don't remember why they thought we would want a sailboat, but we did want a sailboat. I don't remember why, though. I really don't. I mean, you sailed, but I just don't remember how they do that. But um, and so we uh, we took the sailboat, and then like a year later, they gave us another sailboat. So we had these two Hobie cats, these little these catamaran, like fourteen foot and sixteen foot catamaran sailboats. And so we would take the kids out. Shane was like two years old or something, uh, and we'd go out and we'd sail, um, and you know. 
Valerie knew a lot about sailing. I knew a little bit about sailing. I learned much more having, having a sailboat. But the thing about sailing is you can go out, right, and you can get onto the water, and you can, you can start going. You know, the wind's blowing, you know, you're doing all the right things. You know, you've got your, your, your rudder that you're moving around, and, you, you know, you have to learn how to use the wind. Uh, but sometimes you can be out in the middle of the bay, and the wind just stops. It gets glassy. And there is nothing that you can do to make yourself go anywhere. Unless you take out your paddle, <laughs> start paddling the sailboat, you know, and then you kind of look ridiculous to anyone who's watching because it's like a sailboat, why aren't you moving? Well, you can't move without the wind. The power to move the sailboat is in the wind. Th this is what Paul is trying to convey to the Galatians here in chapter 1. If you strip the power from the Gospels, then there is no gospel. If you strip the power from the gospel, it doesn't take you anywhere. It takes you nowhere. So like you heard last week, Paul's defending here. He's defending the origin of the gospel. The gospel, it's the good news. It does not originate with men. It, it did not start with Paul. It didn't start with Peter. It didn't start with James or John. It began in the mind of God before creation. And the eternal purposes of God, his design for the gospel was there. So to correct the Galatians, Paul's, Galatians, Paul starts giving them a series of reasons to show that the true gospel he gave them is not from human origin. First, he's going to tell them uh, that to believe, he wants them to believe that he actually received it from Jesus himself. Then he lays out before him like this radically changed life of his. And then he reminds them that the glory of God is at the heart of the gospel. He wants them to see the one true gospel, not a false gospel. He wants them to see the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, he was born perfect. He lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve. He bore the wrath of God for sinners. And then he was raised. He was raised to life, conquering sin and death. Paul doesn't want them just to know fun facts, though, so that they could play some, you know, trivia game about the gospel. He wants them to believe that the gospel actually has the power to transform a life. And just like the Galatians were being tempted to deny the power and origin of the gospel, we, we too, we can minimize the power of the gospel and its effect in our lives. So I, I want you to know and trust that the gospel is the power of God in your life. And the only thing, it's the only thing that can utterly transform you. Have you been transformed by the gospel of grace? That's the question you want to ask yourself this morning. I want to show you three truths from this passage that help us to trust the power of the gospel. So first, you can trust the power of the gospel because it comes directly from Jesus. Look at verse 12. Paul says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's not making 
this up. He's not making up these ideas. He's not constructing some philosophy of his own. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, told him the plan of salvation. That's what Danny read to us from Acts. It's the story of Paul's conversion. Paul had his ideas about God prior to encountering Jesus. He had his ideas about righteousness, about life, and then the Lord Jesus blew up all of those notions. Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus, and he unveiled the truth to him, and then he sent him out to tell others this glorious truth. You see, the gospel is not a game of, of telephone. You know the game of telephone? One person whispers something in the ear of this person, and then that person whispers to the other person, and then that person whispers to the other person, and it goes on and on and on until the last person says what they think the first message was. It might start off with, I will love you till I die, but it could end with, I will poke you in the eye. You never know what you're going to get with a game of telephone. The whole point right, of the game is that as people misunderstand each other, the message gets more and more and more muddled. And you, you really don't get what you started with, uh, which it makes it funny. That's what makes the game funny and fun to play. But when the gospel is changed, that is not funny. That is scary, in fact. This is why Shane told you last week to be careful what you listen to and what you watch. I, we, I want you this week to think about why you believe what you believe. Why you listen to what you listen to and watch what you watch. What authority are you believing this morning? What source did it come from? What, what is a, was it a long line of people like Telephone that's just messing up the message along the way? Is it, is it the media that you're trusting in this morning? They certainly have a pretty destructive narrative, I think, that they are often are pushing. Is it social media? Is that your place of getting authoritative, dependable, trustworthy information? Social media? I hope not. Where do your friends get their ideas? Often we're so quick to believe our friends. Young people, you're so quick to believe your friends. Where are they getting their ideas? Why are we so quick to believe the philosophers and thinkers of today? Like, why do we think that they have some extra information? The world wants us to listen to experts. Have you noticed that? There's an expert for everything. Where are those experts getting their truth? It doesn't mean that people don't have expertise in certain areas. But does that guarantee that what they say is right? Often, I was a teacher, so I can say this. Often, teachers are kind of put out, or the Minister of Education is put out as the expert on educating children. I would argue that it's the parent who's the expert. Doesn't mean that you can't, you know, delegate that to a teacher. But a parent is the expert on their children. Uh, is the chief medical officer really the expert on when and where I should wear a mask? Oh, be right. I actually saw a report last week, last week, of a highly respected medical research firm in the UK, and this made like not just fringe news, but like actually like big news. So it wasn't just like some weird, you know, 
ultra right wing kind of thing. But they actually said that wearing a mask did not help limit COVID-19 at all. That's, that's not what I want you to walk away with, but that's what the experts said to us, right? That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Are scientists really the experts regarding all these things? Are they the experts regarding the origin of the universe? Were they there when it began? All these things, there's all this kind of truth that is just hammered at us all the time. We can be so trusting. We can be pretty gullible, actually, when it comes to things. And your child's education is important. Limiting a pandemic is important. Those things are very important. But what's even more important is what are you doing with your sin before a holy God? And how do you know what to do with that? The Lord Jesus is revealing himself to us in creation all around us, and he's revealing himself to us even more clearly in his word. He's screaming his love for you. He died for you. He, he, he paid for sin, and we often can just spit in his face. What is so offensive about the message of the gospel? What is so offensive about being told that your God loves you so much that he died for you? Oh, wait. That whole sin bit, isn't it? We don't like to be told that we need a savior, because that means we're drowning. I don't want to be drowning. You see, a gospel from a man, from humanity, a man gospel, I'm going to call it, that would minimize sin. A man gospel would think that I could do something to add to my standing before God. This is exactly what the Galatians are doing. We'll see that as we go through. They're creating or listening to false teachers and believing in a, a man gospel. I can do something. I can add to this. But a Jesus gospel is not tainted because it is directly from the source. God himself, the God man. It recognizes your mess and it declares that Jesus loves you anyway. We don't have to clean up ourselves. It's already been said this morning. I love it, how the Spirit puts things together. You don't have to clean up yourself because you can't clean up yourself. Jesus knows this more than anyone. You can trust the power of the gospel because it comes directly from Jesus. He is the expert, and he's the true expert, big E expert. And you can trust the gospel because it comes from Jesus. That's what Paul wants the Galatians and you to know. It comes from Jesus. It's not a man gospel. Secondly, trust the power of the gospel because it transforms lives. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was zealous for Judaism. He starts here about writing about his past. And these verses help them to remember 
what he was like before he met Jesus. He wants them to see the contrast of the Paul then and the Paul now. The first time Paul is introduced to us in the scriptures, he was called Saul. Again, this is what Danny read to us. <clears throat> well, Danny read the second time. <laughs> the first time was actually in Acts 7. And Stephen was being stoned. He was being stoned. It says in Acts 7, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is Paul. His name is changed later. So Paul is basically holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And he asked himself the question, well, why were they stoning Stephen? Did he commit adultery? Did he murder someone? No, Stephen was just preaching the gospel. And Paul's like, oh, sure, stone him. I'll wash from here. I'll hold your coats while you do it. That's the first time we see Paul in the scriptures. We see him again in chapter 9, which is what Danny read to us. I'll reread the first couple of verses. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, walking with Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Breathing threats and murder. He wants to tie up Christians and bring them to Jerusalem for trial. He's quite the fanatic when it comes to this. He was a fanatic about Judaism. The system of religion that was basically created through the centuries based on the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system, but they had added so much through those centuries. All of these different laws that they had to keep, all of the traditions they had to follow, and that is what Paul is so zealous about. He was high in the ranks there. He thought he was doing God a favor by arresting and killing Christians. He thought he was like Elijah, hunting down the prophets of Baal. He was in the majority. He is self-described here as zealous. He described himself as a persecutor of the church and blameless under the law of Judaism. He was the citizen of citizens when it comes to Jewish law. And the question that you have to ask yourself, the question that would arise in the hearts of, Galatians, of the Galatians as they hear about his past was what changed? What changed for Paul? What would compel someone who was going steadfast in one direction to slam on the brakes and turn around and head the other direction towards danger and isolation and shame from his own people? What would do that? What compelled him to make such a radical change in his life? If faith in Christ was heresy and a pathetic, dangerous fantasy, why would he start preaching Christ? That's a pretty important question to ask. But look at verse 15. The scripture answers for us. But when... 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul didn't need confirmation. He didn't need to debate with other Jewish leaders about this. He just encountered Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. And when you encounter God, he transforms your life. You change. Paul couldn't escape Jesus. He was set apart before he was born. There was no escape for him. He, he was called by the grace of God, who was pleased to reveal his son to him. All Paul could do was follow. All he could do was follow. There was no argument from Paul in Acts 9. He, he didn't question when Jesus confronts him. You can imagine the face. Imagine the face of Paul. Because what Paul does, Daniel read it for us, he asks, like, he's struck with this light, and he hears voices, a voice, and he asks this question, who are you, Lord? Imagine his face with the response, I am Jesus, whom you are personally. I'm sure he was undone by that. And you see no argument for Paul. There was nothing that could have prepared Paul for that moment. He gave no excuses. He did not fight back. He did not balk. He obeyed. He obeyed Jesus. He went into the city. He fasted. And then he was baptized. He was baptized. This is, this is Paul who was going to Damascus to arrest people. And he's baptized. You know what baptism is? It's a public profession of faith that says, I believe in Jesus. I have nothing but Jesus. I need Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. And Paul is baptized in Damascus. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. The chief persecutor of the church has just been transformed. That does not happen through a man gospel. That doesn't happen through some idea of some person. Man gospels don't transform. Do you know what they do? They enslave. A man gospel enslaves. False gospels enslave you. Only the Jesus gospel can free you and make you a new creation, and move you towards obedience. Not because of duty, but because of delight. What if I were to tell you that when I was walking to church this morning, that I live up in that estate, I didn't walk. But if I told you I was walking to church? If I was walking to church this morning, I was hit full on by a lorry, lorry speeding down this road at 100 kilometers an hour. Whew, it was quite the experience. It was a little disorientating. But I got myself up, brushed myself off, and I came in. You'd be looking at me like I was joking, like I was lying, or like I was crazy. Why? Why would, why would you look at me like that? Because if I was hit by a speeding, massive truck, 
on that road right there, I would be forever changed. There would be pieces of me strewn down the road. That's kind of gruesome. You don't get hit full on by a speeding lorry without being changed. You will never be the same by that encounter. And thank Paul Washer for that illustration. Brother and sister, when you collide with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forever changed. He is not a speeding Lord. He is the God of eternity. So Paul is telling the story of his salvation here. It's called a testimony. He was using this testimony to prove that the gospel is supernatural. It's not a man gospel. It accomplishes something in our lives that we cannot do ourselves. We encounter Jesus and it changes us. What is the story of your salvation? What is your testimony? How and when did you encounter Jesus? I encourage you to know your story. It's not going to look like Paul's story. It's going to be your story. But an encounter with Jesus is apart from tradition. Traditions don't change you. It is apart from the affirmation of others. People affirming you does not save you. Do not cling to the affirmation of others. Kids, kids, don't cling to the affirmation of your parents. Adults, don't cling to your religiosity, your prayer and your Bible reading and your church going. Do not cling to wishful thinking that your good will outweigh your bad in the end, because it won't. Cling to Christ. He's the only thing that you can cling to. Tradition, the affirmation of others, works, church motions, will not save you from your sins. Your reputation will not save you. Any confidence in yourself that you have will not save you. Jesus alone can save you. He's the only one. Jesus alone can transform your life. Brother and sister, know your story. You need to know your story. I also want to exhort you to tell your story. Once you know that you've been saved, share it. At our men's meeting on Wednesday, Brendan shared his testimony with us. It's this, it's this beautiful story of God's grace and transforming power of the gospel. And it, it gave me this fresh reminder that our God is a God who saves. He really does save. He pursues people. He invades their lives for their good and rescues us from sin and hell and death. Your story will be different than mine. It'll be different than Paul's. It'll be different than Brendan's. It's unique because you're unique. It doesn't have to be the same. Some people's story, they have this, this crazy, awful life of blatant, obvious sin, and it just oozes out of them. And, and then suddenly God transforms them. That's not my story. I had plenty of sin deep hiding in my heart 
lots of self-righteousness. I'm better than this person. I'm better than this person. I'm better than this person. And God still saved me. How did you become a follower of Jesus? That, that is one of the best questions that you can ask each other. How did you become a follower of Jesus? Let's be a church that knows each other's testimonies because we've told each other. And we've told each other because we've asked each other. Because we are very different. Have you looked around? We're, we're a pretty motley crew in that sense. The thing that unites us is not the country of our birth. It is not our personality. Not where we live. The thing that unites us, why we gather, is because we know and love Jesus. So let's find out how that happened to each other. Trust the power of the gospel because it comes directly from Jesus. Trust the power of the gospel because it transforms lives. Thirdly, trust the power of the gospel because it is all about the glory of God. Look at verse 23. The church in Judea, 22. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of it. And remember, Paul is showing the Galatians that the gospel he preached is not a man-made gospel. He, he adds to his proof of this by revealing that he didn't really have any time with, with the other believers. He didn't have any time with the other leaders. The whole rest of that section, I, I skipped a few verses there, is him saying, I didn't spend time here, I didn't spend time here, I didn't consult with anybody. He was a hundred miles away from the rest of the apostles when this happened to him. And then there was three years before he, he went to Jerusalem. And then he only talked to Peter and James. And just for a little bit. It says he spent 15 days with Peter. I'm sure they talked about Christ. Of course they did. But his point is, he's not getting this from the apostles. He gives an oath to the Galatians. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. Which makes us think that there were false teachers that were really saying to the Galatians, Paul is getting his stuff from a dodgy source. So he's trying to be as clear as he possibly can that that is not the case. And then he leaves Jerusalem. He, he enters Syria, Cilicia. That's even more hundreds of miles away from where most of the apostles were. And he, he tells us that he's virtually unknown to the churches in Judea, which are the area around Jerusalem. But what the churches do know is that he is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what did they do with that information? They didn't know Paul. They had heard about him. He used to destroy. Now he's preaching. What did they do with that information? They gave God glory. They gave God glory for it. The gospel is bigger than any one man. It isn't Peter's gospel, like I said, or James's gospel. It isn't Paul's gospel. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We can trust the power of the gospel precisely because it comes from God and not from man. You see, 
If it were a human message, it would bring glory to a human. Wouldn't it? A human message. If it's all that great, Paul thought it up, who gets the glory? Well, Paul does. The gospel, if it brought glory to man, it could not be trusted. Why? Because man cannot be trusted. Man cannot be trusted. Could the unconverted Paul be trusted? He was murdering Christians. You might think to yourself, oh, it's far from what I would ever do. Maybe. But there's other deep places in your heart where you cannot be trusted. There's places where I cannot be trusted. So we are not dependent on a human message. Don't be dependent on what I say to you. Be dependent on what the scriptures are telling you from Galatians chapter 1. That's why we're constantly going back to it. And we're constantly going back to it. Paul thought he was right, but he was so, so wrong. He was building glory for himself the whole time. He was arresting Christians. Men do this really well. We like to bring glory to ourselves. Humanity, when I say men, women, I mean, you do that really well too. <laughs> All people do that really well. We like to give glory to ourselves. And then the Lord Jesus killed his pride on the road to Damascus. He killed him. With the death of Paul's pride came his freedom to embrace the risen Christ. And this is why we can trust the gospel. It's not tainted by man. It lifts up no human except for the God-man, the Lord Jesus himself. The gospel brings glory to God alone. No one was glorifying Paul. They were glorifying Jesus because of Paul. We are actually made to bring glory to God. We know this by experience. We don't do it perfectly, but we feel it a little bit when we get excited for a cause that's bigger than us, which we all do in some form or fashion. We get excited for causes bigger than us. It might be that you're a part of a sports team, and so you're on that team, and you get excited because you're, it's a bigger cause. You're on a team, and you get to play against other teams, and there's competition and all that. We, we might feel, feel this, this made for something bigger when we give to a charity. Because that charity is doing something good in the world. We, we might feel this when we support a missionary. And we know that they're doing gospel work someplace that I can't go. So we, 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 we know that we're about bigger things and, and there's something about those things that just make us feel good. Because we're made to be about something bigger. There's a sweet satisfaction in knowing that you're about something bigger. The danger is that when we do, when we shift the focus, we shift the focus to ourselves. This is the twisted nature of sin. So we're a part of that sports team, and we love to be a part of something bigger, but when the big win comes, we take credit for it. This team would be nothing without me. We feel good about ourselves when we give to the charity. Not what the charity is doing. I just feel really good when I'm giving to the charity. We want others to know that we've given to missions because that puffs up our reputation. Giving glory to ourselves. We want others to think well of us 
But friends, the glory of God is not shared. It is his, and it is his alone. This is why the Bible says that if you humble yourself, then God will exalt you. God is the glorious one. He is the only one, he's the only one that can exalt anything. Truly, I can't exalt something. Who am I to exalt? Who are you to exalt anything, especially myself? God is the glorious one. We can trust the gospel because it's about God's glory. And God's glory is the best thing for us. So my admonition to you, my encouragement to you this morning, be unknown. Like what? Be a nobody. Be lowly to the glory of God. Paul went from being the Hebrew of Hebrews, is what he describes himself as, to the lowest of all apostles. And that's what he calls himself. In 1 Corinthians, he says, for I am the least of all the apostles. That's how he viewed himself. He did not view himself as high and mighty. We can sometimes do that because we, we read and we see the impact of Paul through the centuries. That was not Paul's desire. He wanted us to see the impact of Jesus through the centuries. He knew that all that he had become was due to the grace of God and not his own efforts. Brother and sister, be unknown. Give generously and don't say a word about it. Pray fervently in your secret place. Highlight the gifts of others rather than your own. Listen. Listen rather than speak. Serve without expecting thanks or any recognition. Seek out those who are the hardest to talk to rather than flocking to those who just are really comfortable to talk to. Drop to a knee and greet one of the many kids that we have here to the glory of God. Brush the floor, clean the toilets, wipe the snotty noses. Say the hard thing with love, even if it leads to that awkward, tense moment. Share your story of faith in a way that makes Jesus look amazing, not you. When Paul received the gospel, he did not try to fit in with anyone else. Paul was not trying to make himself a name. He did not want his name to be widely known. He wanted the name of Jesus to be widely known. Because it is Jesus alone who can rescue. The church saw this in Paul's life. And they gave God glory. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if people observed Passage Baptist Church and they gave God glory. Not look at this person, and look at this person, and look at that person, but just they just observed what God was doing here, and it was unmistakably God, and they gave God glory for it. And we might not ever know, and that's okay. It's okay. The unknown. Because 
We want Jesus to be known. We don't need to be known. The gospel has inherent power, power within itself. The power is in the message, not the messenger. Paul needs the Galatians to believe this because without trusting this, they're being led astray. And you will be too. I will be too. I don't believe the power of the message. You can trust the power of the gospel because it's directly from Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity, friends. I think you can trust him. It transforms lives, the gospel does. You can trust it. Ask each other your story. See the transformation. And it glorifies God. The true gospel glorifies God. It does not lift up a man except the God. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you how the gospel does transform and how it's all about your glory. And we thank you that it came from Jesus. So we can read it 2,000 years later, and it's still the same message from Jesus. Father, forgive us when we start to depend on other things. Help us to turn from any of those idols. That's what they are. They're idols. Run to the living God. Transform us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name.